You're listening to The Great Coaches Podcast. Hi everyone, Paul here, and just a quick message from me to let you know that if you are looking to improve the performance of your team, no matter whether it is a work, sporting, or community one, then we've developed some tools to help. On the website, you will find our Thriving Teams Diagnostic, which uses insights from the more than 200 great coaches we have interviewed to challenge you with a series of questions to help you understand how your team is performing. It's free and only takes a few minutes to complete. If you'd like to know more, you can check out our website, thegreatcoachespodcast.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Welcome to the Great Coaches Podcast. To me, being perfect is not about that scoreboard out there. This is a chance of lifetime. When you can understand the person, you can then work towards a common goal. We are all on the same team. Now you roll and do it to the best of your ability. Focus on the fundamentals. We've gone over time and time again. Your defense has got to be better. Leave no doubt tonight. Great moments are born from great opportunity. My name is Paul Barnett, and you are listening to The Great Coaches Podcast where we interview great sporting coaches to try and find ideas to help all of us lead our teams better. Our great coach on this show is former Australian basketball player and coach, Jan Sterling. Jan played 163 games in the Australian National League between 1982 and 1991. She started her coaching career in 1993 in the Australian National League, guiding her team, the Adelaide Lightning, to 12 straight finals appearances and five consecutive grand final appearances resulting in four championships. In 2001, she became head coach of the Australian women's team, the first time a former player and a woman had ever taken charge. Jan had immediate success, winning a bronze medal at the 2002 World Championships the silver medal at the 2004 Olympics in Athens, and then gold at the 2006 World Championships in Brazil. She has also held high-performance coaching roles with the South Australian men's cricket team and the Port Adelaide Power Australian rules football team. Jan is a passionate and energetic leader, the type of person who looks you directly in the eye as she speaks to you. This was a masterclass in coaching, and the highlights for me were her view on great coaches as being people who are good at the holistic development of their athletes and staff, how resilience within a team can be built by finding ways for your athletes to sacrifice, be a resource for their teammates, 
and experience a level of competitiveness that means they are challenged for their place in the team. How training and learning has to be fun if you expect your athletes to keep coming back with a sense of passion. And the importance of gratitude expressed through handwritten notes from athletes and staff back to the people who have helped them on their journey as they head towards a championship game or significant event. I hope you enjoy it as much as we did. The Great Coaches Podcast. Jan Sterling, good afternoon and welcome to the Great Coaches Podcast. Thank you very much for having me, Paul. Jan, I've been looking forward to this conversation for weeks and we've been, uh, we've been trying really hard to find a date. It's because you're so busy. Could you tell us where you are in the world and what you've been up to today? Okay, well, I'm General Manager of High Performance with Basketball Australia, um, currently in my Adelaide office, um, although I do normally spend a lot of time in Canberra where we have a Centre of Excellence. The Centre of Excellence is where we have a full residential program for our emerging boomers and opals, so young people aged anywhere between 15 and 19. Uh, And then in 2017, um, the NBA decided to set up what they call their Global Academy, so their most elite academy, again, for young men, um, although they are starting to advance in women. So I spend my time between Adelaide and Canberra um, and uh, obviously the challenge right now, as with most uh, Olympic and Paralympic sports, is trying to manage how we extend a program for another 12 months, keep athletes engaged for another 12 months to actually attend an Olympic Games in uh, 2021. Jan, you're one of those coaches who has had exposure to multiple sports. Um, And so in this interview, I'm really looking forward to talking to you about your work in Australian football and other things as well. But I'd like to just step back if I could and ask you about the great coaches that you've had exposure to firsthand. There's Tara Vanderveer, there's Anne Donovan, there's Ken Hinckley, there's David Parkin, and of course, Rick Charlesworth, who we were just talking about. Yeah. What do you think the great coaches do differently? Yeah, that's an interesting one that comes up. Um, I, I think, number one, uh, I firmly believe they, they know how to surround themselves with very good people. Um, and I think uh, in, in all of those people you mentioned, what they're, they're you know, not only good human beings, but they also um, they won't stand for any fools either. So, um, and, and, of course, one you mentioned, David Parkin, who's been a wonderful mentor of mine for, God, some 30 years, I think. Um, he always said to me, Jan, just make sure you've got people alongside you that are actually better than you in some areas where you work. So, and I've always held that true. So I think number one is being able to recognise um, where, their, where our own weaknesses are as a head coach because you can't be everything, you just can't. And so being able to recognise your gaps and being smart enough to bring in people that are going to excel in those areas where you're not as strong so that the collective... Is, is stronger than uh, any one part. And I think that's probably one of the best things that most of these coaches are probably, you know, pretty good at. And the other thing I'll say too, and I, I say it no matter who, which coaches I talk to, you don't find too many what you call great coaches. I don't know whether, you know, I mean, those others you mentioned are great coaches. Me, I've just coached and done okay with it because I've had good people. But you have to be authentic with your care for the people, not only just your athletes, but also for your staff and also understand that the athlete and a staff member have an extended family unit who shared the journey. And having an appreciation of that, uh, I think is really, really important because then 
you're able to manage the, the what-ifs that happen throughout any athlete's life, the injuries or the you know, family hiccups or the relationship bust-ups or whatever. So you really need to have that authentic care and be aware that an athlete comes to you that they have an extended family unit that will play a major role. They will have significant people in their lives that you need to know who they are not necessarily intimately or anything like that, but just know who they're going to turn to in their time of crisis. Um, and I think most great coaches are pretty good at grasping the holistic development of athletes and their staff. Jan, you talk about, you know, holistic development and care, and I've seen you're very generous with your time in mentoring other coaches, and I've seen some, some great footage where you say, you know, it's about developing the attributes that young people need for a very full and balanced life. And it leads me to this question of, so what is the role of the coach in, a, in an elite level basketball team? Yeah, well, I can also share with you how that all came about. Um, I was very much a rookie coach in the WBL, so the first female appointed to the WBL from the Adelaide Lightning. I was asked to talk at a sports festival in Adelaide. The person prior to me was you know, our most elite cycling coach, Charlie Walsh, who at that point in time virtually had a gold medal factory. That's what he delivered, cyclists to a gold medal factory. He was up before me to 2,000-odd coaches at this, mentioned how I need to know what they're, what they're doing every minute of pretty much every day. I need to know, <laughs> etc. And, and I'm sitting there thinking, oh, my God, we are poles apart <laughs> because, you know, they have to do this training. It was so regimented. So I got up <laughs> in my rookie way and just said, oh, look, no one could dispute Mr Walsh and his gold medal factory, but I come from a team sport and actually I want all my players to have a really balanced lifestyle. I want them to have fun. I want them to have time out. <laughs> I finished my speech I almost ran out of this place and I heard this voice behind me and it was David Parkin that I didn't know at the time. He's just like, Jan, Jan, and I'm running down the street. I turned around and it was Mr Parkin. Oh, my God. And I went back to him and I put my hand out feebly. I said, hello, Mr Parkin. <laughs> and, he, and his words to me, he said, Jan, you are on the right path. And that's where our kind of like the mentoring relationship between David and I and the friendship group from that day on I said, oh, thank goodness, Mr. Parkin, because <laughs> no one can dispute what Charlie Walsh does with that individual cyclist that has, you know, had between, you know, 0.5 of a second is a difference between gold and nothing. You know, in team sport, it's, it's uniquely different. So, um, yeah, so understand, that understanding of uh, holistic development I've had from a very early phase and what the role of the coach, my own statement to cover that, from the time you have the privilege to coach someone, male or female athlete, to the time they leave your program, your role is to make them more resilient for life. And... If they have God-given potential to be the best they can be in their chosen field of endeavour, being sport, great. But at the end of the day, if you're going to have them commit time and effort and you know, accountability and discipline to your area, then make them bloody more resilient for life and put out good human beings. Pretty simple, really. 
pretty simple, but not it's nothing to do with basketball, is it? Well, you're sitting there thinking, how the hell did she get to coach him in the Olympics? Well, I don't know either, Paul. Jen, the reason I put this podcast together was for exactly the answer that you just gave. There's something about coaches being selfless and having a high degree of stoicism that I think is missing a little bit in the world these days. And developing resilience for life is at the core of having a happy life. So I think it's a great answer, but I have a follow-up question. And if this is the goal and you want to create these holistic athletes that are resilient for life, and of course, some of the, the rare talent will move on and represent their country and perhaps go further. What are the values or the behaviours that are central to your coaching philosophy to help achieve that? Well, when I say when more resilient for life, yes, you, and you want them to learn how to, um, you want them to learn how to be winners and, and what they need. You want them to learn that you have to make sacrifice. You also want them to learn that they have to actually be a confidant sometimes and a resource to their own peer teammates and even someone who may be challenging for their own position in a team. Um, but the, certainly the values, and it's, it's funny, um, you can write a, the word, a whole range of values up on the wall as you do in, you know, the number of seminars I've been in or motivational workshops and or, you know, team building workshops. And I remember going to the Port Power and, oh, yeah, Jan, Jan, we want to be accountable. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, we want to be, we, you know, uh, we want to, we want to uh, have trust. And then you peel it back and I say, well, actually, boys, so trust, all right. So the strength, I'll use an example. The strength and conditioning coach has had a hiccup with the family. He's going to be an hour late into the gym, but you boys have got to get started. We talk about trust. So if you go in the gym and you don't, you don't think anyone else is watching, what will I see? I'm watching, I'm watching above. What will I see you guys do? You haven't got your S&C coach there. You've got to get your own programs. You've got to get organised. Will I see you guys taking control of that situation and delivering on what you're meant to deliver? Or you slacken off and have a bit of a chat here and et cetera. So when you talk to me about the value words of being trust, being accountable, it's not about having trust. It's about being trustworthy to do what you're meant to do when you're not being watched. Um, so there's a few, you know, those core values, but the, the biggest one I think is the, you can't go past passion, Paul. You just can't go past anyone who's successful. You talk to any successful person in general, most people say they're really passionate about what they do. And so that's a big one for me. What you don't want is an athlete who, um, is told, well, you're, you know, you're seven foot two, you need to be a basketball player, but they have no real passion or desire to be that. Um, so they certainly need to be passionate about what they do. And, the big, and another one for me is to actually have not just an accountability to yourself, but a desire to add value and be prepared to try to make the place that you've been in a little bit better than when you found it. So we took the word legacy is used frivolously at times, Paul, but every athlete that comes to be a boomer or an opal their legacy should be, have you made that environment a little bit better than when you found it or have you helped someone else adjust to that environment a little bit easier than when you struggled with it? Um, the legacy piece is important and what does that look like and how can you contribute to making the environment better for the next generation coming through? Um, I think they're really important things rather than just be, oh, I'll take what I can out of this and then just move on and having a, a sense of what a legacy piece is 
and how you can contribute to making an environment better than when you found it would be fairly important to me. Jane, you talked about, I'm going to come back to legacy later in the interview if I, if I can. I'd, I'd like to just save it for, for the end because um, I'd like to take you on a bit of a journey. You talked about Adelaide Lightning and how you were this young coach. Yep. And, you know, you talked uh, about your time as a rookie coach there. But what I found interesting when I was reading about your time in Adelaide was five consecutive grand finals, four wins. And I was interested to know how did you keep that team moving forward, motivated, growing, succeeding without a sense of entitlement, without becoming complacent? Yeah. Um, the first thing is, is that the way the Lightning was formed is important to this because it, it, it can establish the framework I was able to put in. Prior to the Adelaide Lightning becoming a team in the Women's National Basketball League, the way the Women's National Basketball League started was just that some club teams from South Australia and some club teams from Melbourne decided, why don't we cross the border a few times a year and play each other rather than just play domestically? That's how the WNBL started. So up until the point of the Adelaide Lightning going into the league, there were three full teams in the WNBL, North Adelaide Rockets, Norlunga and West Adelaide Bearcats. So work it out, three teams, 10 athletes in each team, 30 athletes. The cost of the league trying to go to a more professional level, the cost for those teams to be engaged in the full WNBL was prohibitive. And also our teams had dropped off in terms of, if you like, you know, not necessarily winning the league. I think North Adelaide won the league in 1990, I think. So we had to reduce three. So if you imagine you've had 30 athletes that are playing in the WNBL, all in South Australia, and suddenly it's now one team. You know, I had 30 athletes contact me as the head coach, Jan, I should be starting five in that one team because I've, I play 37 minutes a game with, you know, blah, 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 and, you know, we made the playoffs, et cetera, et cetera. So I had to cull and reduce from 30 down to, say, 10 or 12. So the first thing I said, so we had this thing about, you know, first thing is if you want to come and play for the Adelaide Quit Nightning, the very number one criteria, you must want to be, have the passion and desire to be the best you can be. Oh, yeah, I want to be the best and I want to play for the No, 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 the best person you can be. Buzz will take, if we train hard enough, etc. Buzz will take care, you're already good. But if you want it, you have to want to be the best person you can be. Then the next one was, for me, I needed to establish a unique environment. How do you do that? Well, Strength and conditioning became a regular feature of the program, making sure that we could do camp, all those sorts of things. So you have to make it a unique environment, which we did. We were able to do that. It wasn't about me. It was about accessing. We worked with footballers over time. We worked with the Star Division, the police force. You know, I had all these things going on to make that environment unique. So the athletes within that environment, uh, one thing that was required, they had to appreciate the opportunities they were given. And so in time, it kind of like you had the best player, people that want to be really good people, great, tick a box, you're in. People that obviously want to work hard, yep, tick a box, you're in. People that would challenge themselves to do things that you weren't asked to do previously, such as, you know, guys, I need you in the stadium, I need you at the stadium at 5.45am for a 6 o'clock start. So the kids that have to go to work, we can finish, you know, that's never been done before. So over that time frame, 
Well, we had some, oh, I was just blessed to have some wonderful human beings to coach, seriously. The sorts of people that we attracted to the line were people that wanted to better themselves, knew they were well cared for, knew that they were going to be challenged and looked after. You know, not necessarily monetary-wise, but in terms of caring for them. And, and each year, you, you know, you challenge yourself to mix up the program. And I remember the wonderful Rachel Spawn, you know, four-time Olympian, and we happened to be doing a guest speaking gig together. She didn't know I was in the room. I didn't know she was on. She was interviewed by Peter Walsh. And he asked her the question, this is 10 years in to the Lightning's existence, and he said, you know, Jan's a really hard coach, isn't she? She says, oh, yeah, she is, but she really cares about you. He said, well, what, how, how can the Lightning, like 12 years in a row, we played in finals. We never missed the finals in 12 years. And right, the greatest compliment you have as a coach is when she says, she says, you know what, trainings were just always interesting. We were, they were always varied and we never, ever got bored with Jan. So, as you say, what's the stimulus you use? You've got to change it up. As a coach, you've got to learn and grow. You've got to speak to other coaches. How can you make this environment? If they're going to give you, we played 22 games in a National League season. I remember doing the stats once. We would train 340 times for 22 games, 340 times. Work it out on the number of days. Sometimes it's twice a day. And I think, God, I, was, I demanded a lot from these young women, but they all came back. So, so it was a lot of fun, a lot of learning. And, um, yeah, they, they, deserved, they deserved to be stimulated. And that's another role of the coach, you know, make sure you stimulate your athletes. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Well, this experience sets you on the way to take over the Australian team, which you did in 2001. And then you go on this amazing run of success that culminates with the gold medal at the 2006 world championships. And I, it's a similar question to, to the Adelaide question actually, but what were some of the things you did first when you took over the Opals? Well, I've been an assistant with Tom for a while anyway. So, um, and then, and look, to be honest, when the, um, uh, applications came out. I initially had no intentions of applying. Um, and then a few of my, um, and take a step back, with the Lightning, I used to also write to government for funding. So I got all the government funding, I wrote to sponsors, we did different things with sponsors that the Adelaide 36s wouldn't do. Like we would send them a, a personal card at the end of the season signed by all the players to thank them, which often those companies would put in their boardroom. 
you know, chairmen would say, oh, I'm going to send them a letter. I said, well, if I'm a sponsor, I expect a letter from the chairman. But a card signed by the team, that's a bit different. Anyway, so we did all of that. But going back to the, to the Opals, um, you know, I had to... <laughs> I'd been with them for a while um, and when I, the first campaign we had, which was in May after the 2000 Olympics, um, so if you looked at the Opals team that played in Sydney 2000, you know, wonderful result, silver medal, to May the next year, there was only one of those Opals that was present in the East Asia Cup in May the next year because all the others had gone to Europe or across to America because they had been on hold for 12 months in Australia, not earning their larger wages from the European state because Thomas said, you stay in the, if you want to be picked in the Sydney 2000 team, stay home. So they all foregone, obviously, their larger salaries. And, of course, when I came in, I knew. I just said, well, they've got to go. They've got to go and make their money. They've had a year. It's a bit like anyone saying, oh, you're not going to earn your money for a year. Just stay here. What are you going to do the next year? You're going to go. Um, so for me, I had to certainly um, change things up and get that stimulus back. And I was a very different coach to Tom Maher, so that was another one. But they all loved Tom Maher, or uh, well, most of them did. Some of them didn't. Um, so for me, it was about, I guess, just letting them know that the standards of the Opals and trying to sustain success was going to be very, very hard to achieve. It's one thing to sort of get into the top three in the world. It's another thing to stay there. And then I was just very fortunate that at every major, we call it a benchmark event, but at every major event that the Opals played in during my time as a head coach, we got on the podium. We didn't miss the podium once. So the challenge for the group was to say, look, is Sydney all we're about or can we sustain success by continuing the journey together? and then bringing in some new blood and uh, everyone just bought into it, which was really, um, you know, fortunate for me. But it was a different landscape because with the Adelaide Lightning, if I, uh, one of my nicknames on radio in Adelaide used to be Madam Hitler. <laughs> Believe it or not, I, I get introduced, oh, we've got Madam Hitler on the line, Jan Sterling, I oh, thanks, because I was hard. When I say I was hard, but... The girls have put up with my hardness sometimes because of the fact they knew I cared, you know. Some of them I had to feed them because they didn't have enough money and all those sorts of things. The Opals, well, that was a different ballgame. I virtually came in and had this all-star team who knew more than me. Um, so my delivery style, Paul, had to change. I had to, and, you know, you talk, coaches evolve. So I couldn't be as direct because, wow, you know, I'd have... You know, the Ryan Jackson girl was saying, who the hell do you think you are? You know, like, <laughs> so it was very challenging to actually, one, accept that I had to alter my delivery style at times, it, not to appease them, but to get the best out of them. You know, and that's the other thing is that it's one thing is, I mean, I could have, if I had to just said, well, hey, guys, I'm the head coach, you're going to play for the Ovals, you just do it my way, that was never going to work. Um, so I had to kind of like get that balance of letting them know I cared as much for them. I understood that they had to go over to Europe and earn their money. I understood that I had to stay in contact with them. Um, you know, when they come back, well, you know, why aren't I starting five and all that sort of stuff. So you just got to manage the expectations of athletes that come in from an environment where they're the actual absolute star in their professional league team that they come into the Opals and they're not necessarily that absolute star. They're 
a very integral and important contributor to the Opals, but not necessarily the iconic star. Um, and managing those expectations was something I had to learn pretty damn quickly. Well, these days, well, not these days, you're with Basketball Australia, but you've also worked with the Port Adelaide AFL Club on their player leadership program. And I'd be really interested to know what are the key components of an elite player leadership program? Yeah, and that's interesting because at the time uh, I got invited to the Port Power because Mark Williams knew me. Um, and in fact, he wanted me to go about a year earlier, but it was leading into Beijing and <clears throat> I just couldn't give them the time that they needed. And they'd had several leadership models as AFL does. They just get another consultant in to take the boys through a leadership program, <clears throat> etc. And, um, so I come on board and, you know, you had at that stage, you had David Roden and you had the Corns brothers, Chad and Kane and, and, and guys that had been in the system for a decade. I looked at that and I said, well, Mark, they're not going to, they don't want to sit through some sort of leadership workshop with Jan Sterling. Um, so again, adjusting to the environment, I went to that group of guys just took them for a coffee and said, guys, I'm going to work with the other group, you know, the ones that have had, there's maybe been in the club two to three years, I can work with them and, and, and have a look at how they want to develop their solid value system. What do they want to be known for? What, you know, their legacy piece, how do they want, you know, how do they want to contribute to the port power? For you guys, can I tap into you, all of you fine gentlemen, as my knowledge brigade. So I made this knowledge brigade with the power where if I say to you, oh, look, you know, Jacob over there, he's struggling a little bit. Can you put your arm around him and help him out with something? You know what I mean? So I had this kind of like knowledge brigade that I just drew upon at times because they'd had leading teams, they'd had corporate leadership models, they had all this stuff. And I thought, God, the last thing they need to do is for me to stand up in front of them and tell them about leadership. I mean, seriously. So very quickly you learn that it, there's no one leadership model that fits all. At the end of the day, Paul, I still think it's about the values and the behaviours that you instill and how are you going to be. Your true leadership comes through when there is chaos around you and you're still able to deliver to the best of your ability. In other words, you can still stay focused on the task and deliver to the best of your ability when there is absolute chaos around you. Now that chaos could be at a footy club, that could be, you know, as happened at the power, the CEO hates the head coach and whatever, that's chaos that the boys cannot control. You know, if a coach gets sacked, you can't control that. Boards make decisions for reasons we may not know. How can you stay on task and stay focused and do your job and focused on what you need to do and still be true to yourself and still true to the playing group and still deliver on your values and behaviours in the best possible way while you're in this quadrum of chaos. And that's when I think good leaders stand hold true is they can still function appropriately, lead and, more importantly, be influential leaders. Everyone can lead, but can you influence others? We can also, I mean, I'm sure you're a lead. I'm sure you're an influential leader, by the way, Paul. <laughs> I'm sure you are more working on, but can you influence people to actually then thrive and deliver on the values and behaviours that your environment holds highly? 
can you influence people to embrace that and then deliver and then influence the next group of people? So in, I'm more into influential leadership rather than just saying, oh, who are your best leaders? The best leaders are the ones who can influence others to be good people. Jan, it might be an impossible question, but can you teach influential leadership? Is it possible? And what would be in the syllabus? Are leaders born or are leaders? I think, I think it's a bit of a combination, Paul. I think, you can, I think it can be part of it is in it, for sure. Um, but I think you can teach it. Whether the person is recipient, it's like me, you know, had I not made changes, you know, I went to my first World Cup at the Opals. The Australian sport, because we'd had a hiatus of players, the sports mission said to me, Jane, you need to stay top five for your funding. No pressure. You need to stay top five. Well, we got on the podium, didn't we, Paul? We were, we just, we got, we got that bronze medal. And so I'm thinking to myself, wow, how good am I? Get back from overseas. Um, Jan, you need to come to a mediation. A mediation? What are you talking about? We just won a bronze medal. We only had to come top five. Wow, I'm pretty good. They said, no, you need to come to a mediation with, you know, a 20-year-old in the team who's not happy. Okay, then. <laughs> so I learned, so... You know, I won't divulge any names or anything, but what I, you know, I went to this mediation. So there I am, the, you know, whatever I was in, the 47-year-old coach, you know, and I'm going to a mediation with this 20-year-old who's not happy about something. But here's the thing, Paul, uh, and that was my first gig with the Opals. I'm on the wrong side of the white lines to really make a difference in the game. Understand that. I'm not in the field of play. I'm a coach. I'm on the sidelines. There's only so much I can do. The players on the court are the most important people. Clearly, they make a difference. I don't. I can guide and blah, blah. So for me, I just sort of said, okay, well, issues, concerns, I'm here to listen to them. And in terms of that, and, and when you talk about being influential, I say, you're influencing me to, I'm here to listen, but what you don't raise today, don't you ever raise. So here's your chance. Give it all to me now. And I'm sure we can work through this and we can both come out of this better, which is, you know, all that happened and all that sort of stuff. But so in, in terms of the influential part, that particular um, young athlete now, who's a mature age athlete, has gone on to be quite an influential leader in her own way, very much so. At that time, a superstar who really was talking on behalf of a, you know, a 30-year-old in the team, I knew it all the reasons why, but that young woman is now quite an influential leader. Back then, she wasn't influential. She was a superstar, wasn't happy, blah, 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 pretty much mainly about self. Another 10 years experience, nurturing, development, growth, input by a lot of people, is now an influential leader. So it can be taught. It's whether that person wants to flick the switch and understand that they can be better at what they do. You know, you and I are sitting here, we're breathing air, we're still alive. I don't know about you, but I'm, on, I'm still on my learning continuum in life. The learning continuum of life for me is each and every day. Can you do something better today than you did yesterday? Can you help someone a little bit better today than you did yesterday? Can you influence someone today that needs some influencing for, the, for their own benefit? So it's an everyday thing for me. I've got this great quote from you, actually. It says, uh, as a coach, you're not a finished product. There is still plenty to learn, share and do. 
And I'm just wondering, you know, we've had lockdown, we've had this period of reflection, and I'm wondering if there was anything interesting that you learnt or discovered during the last six months. Hmm. Yeah. Um, look, I suppose, Paul, for me, I've been very fortunate that um, having been adopted at birth by two parents that clearly wanted both my sister and I, so both my sister and I were adopted, and having come from, you know, humble beginnings, um, in fact, we lived in low socioeconomic um, we used to ride our bikes and pick up Bruce, the famous Bruce McAvaney and go to Woodville High School together quite often. We'd pick each other up and ride three, five kilometres to high school. And so I suppose what I've learned started from an early foundation and that was, you know, my father's eulogy when I, Dad always said to us, he said, Jan, don't be too quick to criticise or be critical of others. Because unless you walk in their shoes, you don't know why they do what they do. So I think for me, my learning in life is, and, and quite often when things, look, when you've been a head coach, Paul, when things don't go your way, you can get pretty damn <laughs> aggressive about, they didn't do this for me, they didn't do this, or, you know, the, the board need to give me more latitude, whatever it is, you can be really, really harshly critical. But at the end of the day, you have to take a step back and just understand that sometimes Decisions are made by others who may impact on you, <clears throat> but you can't criticise that if <clears throat> you don't have the information. <clears throat> and so um, what I've learned is that share information so people can make an empowered decision <clears throat> and don't get critical. If you haven't given them the information they need to make that decision, then don't blame them that they've made that call. And as I mentioned earlier, I think off air with you was the fact that in general coaches in Australia are very collaborative and caring and sharing of their wisdom and knowledge. <clears throat> we all learn different things along the journey but for me um, sharing information and even with your athletes or your staff giving them the full picture um, so that they can make an informed decision is probably one of my most biggest learnings give people the information they need to make an informed decision. Uh, and in that way, you can't, you can't then be critical. And understand, too, that it may not always be the answer that you want. That can hurt sometimes. <laughs> no, it definitely can. And I'm conscious that I've only got a short period of time left because you've been very generous with your time today. And I want to circle back to where we started, which was you talked about legacy. And I would like to ask you... I, as you sit now back and reflect on this, this long um, and illustrious career that is still going, but what is the legacy you think you've left behind so far? Oh, I can come up with a very politically correct answer then, so you have to ask others. <laughs> no, thank you. Oh, no. Look, Paul, about, yeah, people, look, this question comes up from time to time. Um, Hopefully you've influenced others to, uh, and I think I have in many ways, um, and I'll, I'll use an example of what my legacy has been in one way. When we, I got, got to coach my first Olympic team um, and before we went to Athens in 2004, given my Adelaide Lightning journey is the reason why I was the head coach. The success of the Lightning clearly played, carried weight in me being appointed the head coach of the Opals. I remember writing, I remember the number, 
78 handwritten cards, and I write a lengthy card, by the way, Paul, I write, you know, I write a lot. And it was to the, either the, it was the parents of every athlete, it was to the partner of every athlete, and then it was to a range of our corporate sponsors. We then go to Athens, then have the group together, and I had Trish Fallon and Christy Harrow, wonderful, racial spot, I had some, fan, Sandy Bondello was in that team, you know, I had some fantastic athletes. And I just challenged them and I said, hey, you know, now that we're all here together, have any of you given thought to actually, when you get home, writing a card to someone who actually would be home watching you with great interest that might have impacted on you really early in the start of your journey? So it might have been your... And, and straight away the girl said, oh, yeah, my under-10 coach was really fantastic. Do you know that every one of them did that? And... Fast track it now to now, and I know for a fact that there's some of those athletes that I've engaged with over time that say, oh, Jan, one of the best things, you know, I do, I, I actually send that, now it's email, of course, but I actually write to people now and thank them and I, you know, when I get, achieve something or when I won my MVP, I wrote back to them and said thanks for sharing, you know. And so I'd like to think my legacy is that I've helped people um, embrace a little bit more of thanking and being having gratitude for the journey that you've had and understanding that even if someone's only had you for one season, that when you're an open and you're getting that medal around your head, mate, they, they own you. Like, but let them know that they mattered to you and that they've contributed to your journey because they kept your interest or, you know, you're ready to quit and they talked you out, whatever it is. And it could be your grandma or an auntie. It could be your brother or sister. But just make sure that, let them know that you appreciate and you're grateful for how they've impacted on your journey at some stage. There might have been a time when you didn't make the team, but then you made the next one or whatever. And I know for a fact that some of those fantastic young women that I've been privileged to coach, a lot of them do that now. So that would be, that's the only legacy I know. <laughs> it's pretty, <laughs> that's the only one I know. I can't give you any more. That's it. I like it when that happens. And do you know I still have an athlete now, Jay Kingy, who's played for the Opals, didn't get to a benchmark event. She's been over, you know, she's got four wonderful daughters over in America. She's lived every Christmas. I get the card and the updated photos of her daughters. I get the email that says, Jan, I, I know I send you this every Christmas, but you impacted so much on my life. You know, so, you know, and there she is sending to me something that reflects gratitude. So that's a win. That's a win for Jay Kingy because she's a fantastic human being and as a, and her, her daughters will learn that from her. So, yeah, so that's probably, that's it, really. not much. Gratitude, yeah. having gratitude. What an amazing way to finish this interview. Jan, I can't thank you enough for your time. It's, uh, I feel so energised after chatting with you and um, I can't Thanks, wait to, to share this. I'm sorry I was so hard to get hold of. <laughs> No problem. Thank you so much, Jan. I appreciate it. No worries. Okay. Take care, mate. The Great Coaches Podcast. Hi, it's Jim. You've been listening to our discussion with the razor sharp Jan Sterling, the general manager of High Performance with Basketball Australia. I was completely captivated by Jan's powerful story about gratitude and her no-nonsense approach in working through player-coach mediation and how both of these examples delivered connections that still live long after the coach-player relationship has ended. 
Jan's passion for building influential leaders and her perspective of true leadership being one's ability to consistently deliver your best when surrounded by chaos are lessons that will stay with me in my own leadership development journey. Paul said it well, this was a true masterclass. Coming up next on The Great Coaches Podcast, we speak with former Indian international cricketer and the current coach of the Indian women's cricket team, W.V. Raman. So my style has been that um, I always tell the captain that uh, until the 48 hours prior to the game, I'll be uh, sort of uh, more active. I'll be uh, saying a lot of things to the players if required. But from the time that we got to get into a game, uh, which is 48 hours before the start of the game, it's all yours. You're the, you're the person who's handling the players. You're the person who will be saying what needs to be said. It's all your ship and you're the captain. And uh, the team from then on, 48 hours leading up to the game, is going to be handed over to you. And I'll be staying in the backdrop. And just before we go, coaches are not usually the type of people who seek the spotlight. And so if you can put us in contact with a great coach that you know has a unique story to share, we would love to hear from you. You can contact us using the details in the show notes. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. 